open them to the letter of Ephesians chapter 4. I want to talk this morning about the Christian's lifestyle. You know, we've heard the saying, clothes make the man. Of course, that's not true physically, but it is true spiritually. When you become a Christian, as we've been singing about this morning, um, uh, there is um, something that takes place um, uh, in every one of us who profess faith in Christ um, as Savior and Lord. We get a new set of clothes. We're clothed in the Lord Jesus, and these clothes are what make the believer. With, when soldiers or firemen or policemen or astronauts first put on their distinct uniforms, they're taking on new responsibilities that correspond to their new identity. And that's what Paul is saying to us as believers here in Ephesians chapter 4, that you have been given new clothes. And those new clothes distinguish you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And with those new clothes come new uh, responsibilities. With that new identification, based upon our new set of clothes, we have new responsibilities. Uh, We're not to act the same way we did before we came to know Christ. We have received a new spiritual identity. And with it, new spiritual responsibilities. Having put off the uh, corrupt old garment of the old self, we've put on the new garment of righteousness and holiness and purity. Here in verses 17 through 24, Paul is talking about the believer's new identity in Christ. And what it looks like to live in light of that new identity. You see, when a person believes and confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord, a transformation takes place in his or her basic nature. Salvation is not just a matter of improvement. The New Testament speaks of believers as having a new mind a new will, a new heart, a new perception, a new understanding, a new righteousness, a new love, a new desire, a new citizenship, all of which are summed up in newness of life. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is this, if I profess to be a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if I claim to be a Christian, does my life, as I live my life from day to day, does my lifestyle back up what I profess? Now, at conversion, a person becomes a new creation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. 
It is not simply that we receive something new, but rather that we become someone new. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the transformed person is completely new. The old self dies and the new self lives. And a changed nature demands changed behavior. Here's what I want you to take away from our text this morning, our, from our message, as we talk about the Christian walk. Christians are to live like the new creatures they are in Christ. Well, here in these verses before us this morning, in verses 17 through 24 of chapter 4, Paul contrasts the believer's condition before conversion and our condition after conversion. First, he talks about our rebellious nature before conversion. Look what he says there in verse 17. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Let's just stop right there for just a moment. Because we are called to salvation, because we've been uh, unified in the body of Christ, and because we've been gifted for ministry by the Holy Spirit, which is what Paul has already talked about in the earlier verses of this chapter, of chapter 4 of Ephesians. Paul is saying that we cannot be used effectively, regardless of whether we know what our spiritual gifts are, regardless of whether we're using our gifts. If we want to be effective in carrying out the ministry that God has given us as individual believers in the body of Christ, Paul comes now to say, you can't live any way you want and expect to be effective for God. Friend, that is true for preachers, that is true for uh, deacons, that is true for Sunday school teachers, that is true for any of us who claim to be um, uh, well, Christian, who claim to have been given uh, spiritual gifts and are using those gifts, we will never be effective in the ministry of the church. And in God's service, if we are trying to ride the fence, keeping one foot in the world and one foot in God's kingdom at the same time. Paul says, no, you've died to that old life. You can't just hop up on the fence and put one leg on one side. You've got to jump clear over that fence. And you've got to jump into the other side and where you're separated now from that old life. Now, does that mean perfection? No, we know that doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean that the habit, the pattern, the consistency of my life is that I am now seeking to live the life that God's called me to, and I have moved away from that old life, that old pattern of living, and I have now begun to live a holy and righteous and pure life 
before God. Paul says, that's the man, that's the woman that God can use and who will be effective in God's kingdom. Um, now, think about it this way. Um, uh, that word Gentiles, he says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer uh, walk as the Gentiles do. Now, he's not just talking about um, except this, uh, the distinction between uh, Jews and non-Jews. No, he's using that word Gentiles here to refer to all ungodly and unsaved persons. In other words, the unsaved, the lost person, like the church in our own day. You need to understand that the churches in Ephesus were surrounded by paganism and immorality. The city of Ephesus was a leading commercial and cultural city of the Roman Empire. In the city of Ephesus was the great pagan temple of Artemis or Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, but it was also a leading city in corruption and sexual immorality. Some historians rank Ephesus as the most lascivious city in all of Asia Minor. So when these believers in the churches in Ephesus, they got saved, they were coming out of that pagan, immoral, corrupt society. And they were brought into the kingdom of God and into the church, the body of Christ. But you can imagine, this was a corrupt city. So every day they were tempted as they walked by the old places that they used to frequent when they were pagan, when the, before they got saved, they would come in contact with their old friends, their buddies they used to hang with, and they used to uh, engage in some of the same practices that those pagans still practice. And so the temptation was there to be tempted to go back to that old lifestyle, those old ways. And Paul says, now this I say in testifying the Lord, you cannot anymore live like those Gentiles, like those pagans that you once used to be like yourself. Friend, on the basis of what we are in Jesus, we are to be distinct from the world. I'm convinced one of the reasons the church is as weak as it is today is because there is not that much difference between those of us in the church and those outside the church. Sadly, we have bought into the lie that it's okay to compromise, to get along with the people outside. And we have compromised our holiness and righteousness and purity before a holy God. Spiritually, we have already left the world. This is not our home. Peter reminds us of that. We are pilgrims passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we are instructed by the Apostle John it's not up there on your screen, but if you've got, hold your place here and turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'm telling you, if this is, 1 John is my favorite book in all the Bible. It's not my favorite because it's nice and it's comforting. It's my favorite because it's so convicting. 
Um, uh, this was the book God used to get my life back on track. First John, the letter of First John. You can't read anywhere in First John and not come under conviction. Look what he says here in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, the world's standards are wrong. The world's motives are wrong. The world's aims are wrong. Its ways are sinful, deceitful, corrupt, empty, and destructive. And Paul gives four characteristics of the ungodly pagan walk of the unbeliever here in verses 17 through 19. Um, these are characteristics uh, that the Christians are to forsake. So he begins by pointing out the unbeliever's futile thinking. Look in verse 17. Now this I say in testifying the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. Why, Paul? Because their thinking is futile. He says, in the futility of their minds. That word futility refers to that which fails to produce a desired, the desired result. That which never succeeds. In other words, Paul is saying their mind, their thinking is empty. It's void. It's meaningless. It was used as a synonym for empty because it amounts to nothing. The spiritual thinking and the resulting lifestyle of the unbeliever is inevitably empty. It doesn't amount to anything. It's void of substance. And the lost person, they might plan and they may, might resolve on the basis of their own thinking. They make plans based on their own thoughts, on their own understanding. They try to resolve. They try to resolve problems and issues on the basis of their own understanding and their own thinking. And Paul says, and as a result, it comes to nothing. It's empty. And as a result, the lost person becomes their own ultimate authority and follows their own thinking to its ultimate outcome of futility and meaninglessness. It's the self-centered emptiness that characterizes our own day. Paul says, that's what you used to be like. That's the way you used to think. That's the way the lost person thinks. There's a second characteristic of the lost person here, and that's spiritual ignorance. Look in the first part of verse 18. The ungodly are unresponsive to God's truth. Their thinking is not only futile, but it's spiritually uninformed. He says they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Paul's point is that ignorance and sin are inseparable. The ungodly may be always learning, but they are never able to come to the knowledge of the real truth. Friend, the non-Christian has no clue of what is right and what is wrong. They are deaf 
to the voice of God. They refuse to listen to any voice but their own. They've set themselves up as the ultimate authority. And whatever they think is right becomes right. Whatever they think is wrong becomes wrong. And the result is moral relativism. There is no right. And there is no wrong. Everybody has, it's, it's everybody's right to believe what they want to believe, to, to think what is right is right, and to think what is wrong is wrong. And nobody has um, uh, uh, any uh, business telling anyone what to believe or what is right and what is wrong. Paul's point is that ignorance and sin are inseparable. These Unbelievers remain shut off from God and from His truth. They think themselves wise, but they are really ignorant and foolish. They are far from God. There's a third characteristic in verse 18, a hardness of heart. The cause of their darkness and their ignorance and separation from God is their hardness of heart. Their willful determination to remain in sin. To to shut out the voice of God and to just keep doing what they've always done. Now notice Paul does not speak merely of a hard heart. But a hardened heart. There's a big difference there. He's not just talking about a heart that is hard. He's talking about a heart that has become hardened over a process or a period of time. It's been made callous by repeatedly making wrong choices over a long period of time, causing it to become even more insensitive to the will of God and the ways of God. From the heart of the person who continually chooses to sin becomes hardened over a period of time. With a hardened heart, No longer pumping life-giving blood into that person's soul and spirit. The mind grows dull and dark to the things of God. And apart from the grace that we've been singing about, that person will continue down this road of rejection and their hearts will become even more hardened. You remember that's what happened to Pharaoh. He kept rejecting God. He kept denying Moses and the Israelites the opportunity to be obedient to God. He kept stepping in the way and trying to overrule the voice of God, the command of God. And over a period of time, his heart became hardened. And when your heart becomes so hardened... It becomes harder and harder to hear the voice of God. I, friend, listen to me. I told my children when they were coming up, when they were growing up, I said, I want to tell you something about the grace of God. The grace of God is one of those wonderful gifts God has given to mankind. But don't ever presume upon God's grace don't ever think that I can just continue down this road of disobedience and sin and God in his grace 
at the right time will turn my life around. He may, and hopefully he will, but there is no guarantee that he will. Don't ever presume upon the grace of God. The more you live a life of sin, the more hardened your heart becomes and the more distant you become in your thinking from God. Paul says their heart is hardened. The fourth characteristic of the unbeliever is a lack of moral strength. Now look in verse 19. He says they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That word sensuality means Total licentiousness. I mean, they have slid down that slippery slope of moral degradation and they have hit bottom. They are greedy to do more and more uh, wrong, to, 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 to do that which is uh, opposite of uh, what God's will is. You see, when a person determines to think his own way or her own way, to do things like they want and pursue their own destiny. They cut themselves off from God. And when that happens, when you cut yourself off from truth and you become spiritually blind and without standards of morality, you begin to fall deeper and deeper into sin and farther and farther away from God. And when that is continued long enough, it will destroy the mind's ability to distinguish good from evil, right from wrong, truth from falsehood, reality from unreality, the godless life becomes the mindless life and the process characterizes every unbeliever apart from God. Think about it. Think about it in your own past. You didn't begin at the level of sin that you were at when you got saved. As a child, you began with what we call little sins or minor sins. And those sins progressed into bigger sins and bigger sins and bigger sins. And the longer you do that, the more comfortable you become and the more hardened your heart becomes. And at, at a point in time, you wake up and you realize there is no moral restraints on your life. You are free to do whatever you like. Because there's nothing holding you back. Because your mind is empty of any thought of God and his truth. Paul says, listen, that's the way we were before we became a believer. That's that old life that we got saved from. That's that old life that God in his grace delivered us from. Now... Why in the world would you want to revert back to those old ways? Paul says, you need to remember, you died to that old self. It's dead. It's gone. You've been given. That's that old rebellious nature. You've been given a new, a renewed nature. So let's look in the second place 
at a renewed nature after conversion. After revealing the characteristics of the old rebellious nature before conversion, Paul spoke about the new renewed nature um, uh, <clears throat> that we receive after conversion. And this nature is true of every genuine believer. The new walk in Christ is the, act, is the exact opposite of that old walk. Whereas we were um, characterized by that futile thinking and spiritual ignorance and hardness of heart and um, a lack of any moral restraint, Paul says, your life is different now. And the first thing he says about your life is, it is Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered. Look in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Now that refers to salvation, that phrase, but that is not the way you learn Christ. He's referring to your salvation experience. To learn Christ is to be saved. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said this. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So both the context and the tense of the verb here, the tense of the verb is the aorist tense, the past tense. That leads to the conclusion that this learning refers to the past experience of conversion when we learned about Christ. Now, we're continuing to learn about Christ, but we first learned about Christ at conversion. And what we learned about Him is what now directs our life, our thinking, our acting, everything about us. From the moment we begin to think, from the moment of conversion, we begin to think like Christ. We begin to act like Christ. We begin to love like Christ. And in every possible way to be like Christ. In order that, according to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 10, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Paul says that regardless of whether you're asleep or you're awake, your life is identified with Christ. Your life is Christ-centered. He becomes the center of your life, the center of your thinking, the center of your feeling, the center of your thoughts, the center of your actions, the center of your attitude, the center of your conduct, your character. Jesus is what our life is about today. A second characteristic of the Christian is that he knows God's truth. Look what he says in verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Instead of being ignorant of God's truth, the Christian has heard Christ and is taught in him. I like what Dr. A.B. Bruce says about this thought. He says, Christ himself is the Christian's teacher even if the teaching is given through the lips of his followers. To receive the teaching is in the truest sense to hear him. In other words, when true preaching and true teaching take place, Jesus himself is personally teaching. If that teaching is backed up by Scripture, you can take it as the Lord himself trying to get our attention. From the truth of Jesus is is superior to any other truth. Amen? It's superior to the truth of great thinkers such as Einstein, Newton, Socrates, 
Plato, Confucius, Darwin, Stephen Hawkins, all of these great thinkers who were brilliant men still did not have the ultimate truth that only Jesus has. The truth of Jesus is superior to the truth even of great theologians and preachers such as Augustine, Martin Luther, Oswald Chambers, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozier, John Piper, J.I. Packer, to name a few, David Jeremiah, um, uh, Tim Keller, all of the leading preachers and theologians even of our day. The truth of Jesus is certainly far superior to anything Rick Bird has to say. And I can tell you this, regardless of what I know or what I don't know, when I stand in this pulpit Sunday after Sunday and I proclaim God's word, there is nothing I can say to you that can even come close to the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, that's characteristic of the new man in Christ. They know God's truth and they are continuing to learn the truth that is in Jesus. A third characteristic of the Christian is he puts off the old self. Look in verse 21, uh, 22. To put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You see, the Christian has heard the call to put off the old self. That verb means to literally strip off, as in the case of old filthy clothes. I just want to say one thing about that song the choir sang today. It's incorrect theologically in that one part. He didn't just make your old clothes pure. He stripped them off of you. He didn't just make them white. He stripped them off of you. And he took those clothes, he threw them in the garbage heap, and he gave you a brand new garment to wear. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. It doesn't take away from the message of that song. I just want to point out to you that it's not just he took your clothes and he took them down to the stream and he washed them and he made them white. No, he took those clothes, he burned them, he got rid of them, and he gave you an entirely new set of clothes. And Paul says, now that you've been given this new nature, you need to get rid of that old nature. That old nature is gone. You died to that old nature. This is the perspective Paul had. We're on Wednesday nights, we're studying Romans chapter 6. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in the 6th chapter of Romans. He says in Romans chapter 6 verse 6, for we know that our old self, that old rebellious nature was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Friend, the inescapable conclusion is that salvation is a spiritual union with Jesus in his death and his resurrection that can also be described as the death of the old self and the resurrection of the new self who now walks in newness of life. The final characteristic, so they put off the old self, now they put on the new. Look what he says. At conversion, the believer takes off the old nature and he's given a new nature. 
Paul puts it this way, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, when a person is saved, God initially renews that person's mind. That renewal continues through the believer's life as he or she is obedient to the word and the will of God. And the process is not a one-time accomplishment, but is the continual work of the Holy Spirit throughout the believer's life. It's that second stage of the salvation process called sanctification. And we learn this truth through Bible study and through prayer. The more we read God's Word, the more we pray, the more we begin to depend upon the new life. And the new life is able to take charge and to take control and produce righteousness and holiness of life. Paul says our lives are now characterized by righteousness and holiness. You see, it all comes down to the appeal of the will. Paul says, put off, put on. And the choice is ours. He doesn't force you. He's put off the old life, put on the new. Can you imagine what it would look like if somebody walked in here this morning with half of their outfit dirty and greasy from where they worked out in the yard or in the garage yesterday? Maybe dirty pants, dirty shoes, but they had a nice clean white shirt on. Can you imagine how funny that would be, how humorous that would be, how pathetic that would be? That's what Paul would say. You can't do that as a believer. You either have one set of clothes or the other. You have the old set or the new set. There is no in between. Can I put it this way? I want you to picture in your mind two hearts. In one heart, there is a cross and a throne. Same thing in the other heart, a cross and a throne. The difference in one heart, there is self on the throne. And Jesus is hanging on the cross. In the other heart, Jesus is on the throne, and self is on the cross. My question is, which of those two hearts best describes your life as a believer? Paul says, if you've been born again, you've died to your old life. You've been crucified. You put that old life to death. And Jesus sits on the throne of your life. If you find that you're still on the throne of your life and Jesus is still on the cross, that's a good indication that things may not be what we think they are. And Paul says, if we're going to be effective in reaching this world for Christ and advancing his kingdom, then we must put off the old man and put on the new. And live holy for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.